I love Christmas time. In fact, I was just telling everybody uh, beforehand that um, about this time of year, there's a little bit of a letdown. My neighbor next door started taking down his Christmas lights. I told him I was leaving mine up just so I could be early for next year for a change. Anyway, I like Christmas time. I start celebrating, frankly, around Thanksgiving. I think I've said that before. Um, we start playing Christmas music on th Thanksgiving Day at my house. And uh, I love um, Hallmark movies. I'm man enough to admit it. I love them. I love the sappier, the better they are. I just dig them all over the place. And in fact, um, we're still watching some. <clears throat> Again, I'm very confident in my manhood about that one. But I, I do enjoy those things. I love the Christmas music especially because it really kind of puts me um, in the spirit. Now, there are some songs that I dearly love and I like to listen to them over and over again. And then there are other songs that I don't like. And I'm sure you've got some Christmas carols that you don't like either. These are the kinds of songs that when they come on the radio or you're listening to them in the store, you actually roll your eyes a little bit like, oh, that song again. Right? You've got them? Tell me, what are they? Just shout them out. Give me a song that you don't like. Christmas song. Christmas carol you don't like. Don't be shy. What is it? Christmas shoes. Chris oh, Christmas shoes. Oh, my gosh. I will actually change the station when that one comes on. God bless new song, but mm, anyway. Wait, give me another one. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? Really? I like that song. You don't like that one? Okay. Blue Christmas. Oh, that's right. We don't like Blue Christmas in our house. Give me one more. Come on, give me another one. Santa Baby? Okay. Really? It's all right. It's funny. I just don't like the Michael Bublé version of that. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, well, yeah, there's a whole list of songs. And <laughs> some of you are like, it's amazing he's even the pastor of this church. It's okay. But there's, a, like, the ones that I don't like is Last Christmas by George Michael, right? Last Christmas, I gave me a heart. I'm like, eh, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. That's not really a Christmas song. I'm sorry. Um, what's the other one? Oh, <laughs> James, you're going to have to help me. Is this Paul McCartney or the Beatles simply having a wonderful Christmas time? Is that the Beatles? Is Paul McCartney? Okay, I don't like that one either. That's not one of my favorites. Uh, Christmas Shoes has already been said. That's in my top five. Just don't like that song at all. But the one that usually makes everybody's list, the 12 Days of Christmas, right? The 12, come on now, when the 12 Days, unless you get one of the funny, funny versions. How many of you remember Doug and Bob McKenzie? Yes, thank you. Some of you are like, what is that? Go look it up on YouTube. You're welcome. I'm just going to say that up front, okay? So, the 12 days of Christmas, um, you, you, you go through it and, you know, you can see it here. I, this picture, I found this picture online. I think it's really funny. Eight maids of milking. One cow. That poor cow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeez, O.P. So we've got the 12 days of Christmas. What, what does that even mean, 12 days of Christmas? And, and then I saw... Um, I think it was a news article a couple years ago where somebody actually took the current value of all of those gifts and added them up so that we could see inflation at Christmas time. Now, I'm sorry, but I am not bringing anybody Piper's piping. I mean, that's not, you know, maybe piping, popping fresh the little doughboy, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing because it's piping hot. I, I don't know. I'm trying to make this make sense because... The whole song is just kind of goofy, I think. What is that? Now, did a little research. 
Because for a while, there was this idea floating around that this was a song that was created back at a time, in, especially in England, when there was a lot of religious persecution, and this was a way of transmitting Christian theology, which I thought was a kind of an interesting idea. Turns out, absolutely false. Totally debunked. Doesn't make any sense. There's no historical rec record of it. In fact, what they think... The 12 days of Christmas was a child's game at Christmas time. And so you would go through the song because it's just repetition over and over again. And if you messed one up, then there was either some kind of penalty or something. It was just the way the game, game was played. I had no idea. But what is the 12 days of Christmas? And when we were, uh, we were talking about this, some people uh, I know would, would say, well, it starts 12 days before Christmas. So what is it, like the 13th or something like that? No, 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 no. Actually, it's a thing in the church calendar. And in the certain traditions, they still practice this, but it begins on the 26th, and it ends January 6th. So it just so happens that the 6th on a Sunday, this is what we call Epiphany. It's the 12 days from Christmas time to Epiphany. So there's 12 days, and there's 12 days of Christmas, and, and apparently you're supposed to give gifts for 12 days, which I am all for. I think it's a great idea, especially if I'm on the receiving end of them. But sometimes Epiphany um, is called Three Kings Day. And what, would, what, what, what happened in the, in the early, uh, not necessarily the early church, but in the ancient church, is that you would have um, a feast at Christmas time, and then you would have another feast at Epiphany. And Epiphany was the day that uh, we celebrated, the church would celebrate, the fact that God revealed himself to the Magi. Right? So we go from Christmas time to Epiphany. There are 12 days in between when Jesus was revealed to the Magi. Now, this is interesting because the Magi were not actually kings. They were not Jewish. And there weren't three of them. Tradition has anywhere between three and like nine. Nobody knows how many Magi there were that actually visited Jesus. The text doesn't say. But we typically do. Do three. And I think it's largely due to the song We Three Kings of Orient Are, because it just made for a great lyric, I guess. And so we, we, we kind of take that at, at face value. Now, I remember growing up, uh, I went to, I grew up in a Lutheran church, and in the Lutheran church, we always had a major Christmas pageant for the kids, right? Uh, maybe you remember this too. And a Christmas pageant was very important because when you were very young, you were in the angel choir. And some of you remember this, right? You're in this angel choir. And then for boys in particular, later on, girls got added too. But what I remember, boys, when you reached a certain age, it was usually about fourth or fifth grade, you got promoted from angel choir to shepherd. <laughs> and then when you uh, got into junior high, you were actually promoted again from shepherd to wise man which was awesome because that meant I didn't have to wear the costume at the church. I could wear my dad's bathrobe. <laughs> and the more paisley the bathrobe, the better. I found that out. That was very important. And I actually have a picture somewhere. I, I, I couldn't find it. But I have a picture of me in my dad's bathrobe and something on my head and the big old 80s glasses. <laughs> Let me tell you, I was, I was quite, quite, a, quite a sight at that point. Now, 
when we typically do those Easter sorts of pageants, there's an order to this because we read through the Bible. And so what happens is that Mary and Joseph show up and the angels will sing some type of a Christmas carol and they'll read the Bible verse and then the, the angels will appear to the shepherds. You know how this goes, right? And then the shepherds show up and then they go off praising God and it's usually some kid going, blah, and getting all crazy as he's running out of the, of the sanctuary. But then, immediately following the shepherds, all of a sudden, the wise men show up. And so when I was a kid, maybe you felt this way too, I thought it all happened on one night. I thought there was just bang, bang, bang. Poor Mary, she just had a baby, she's exhausted, and she's got all these visitors. But it's not necessarily how it works out. There's a certain amount of artistic license that we take at Christmas time for kids' Christmas pageants. And so what I thought we might do is let's go into the text and let's sort this out a little bit because I think there's some interesting things in this story of epiphany that I want to talk about. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to, you might want to dial that one up. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2, um, beginning with verse, verse 1 and going through 12. <clears throat> And I'm going to take this kind of in chunks and make some observations as we go along. So let's pick this up. Matthew chapter 2, verses, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, not kings, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is very interesting. They are not kings per se, they are scholars. Magi, in, in the classical sense of the word, is a wise man. We call them wise men, but they're wise in the sense that they're academics, they're scholars. And usually what this means is that they watched the heavens, they watched the, the night sky. They were, uh, for lack of a better term, astrologers, not astronomers, astrologers. There were certain religious connotations to what was happening in the sky, and God would reveal himself in the night sky, whoever God was, based on the religion that they were studying at the time, and they would look at the sky, and they would... And very often, stars were associated with the rise of great kings. Very common throughout the ancient world. And so here we have, we have these scholars who have noticed this star. Now, this is a fascinating thing. I want you to think about this with me. They are not Jewish, but they have access to Jewish texts. They are also um, not Christian, because Christianity hadn't been born yet, right? They're from another religion, and I think sometimes the church, we get so worried about what other people believe that we forget the fact that God can speak to them too in his own way. And so we wall ourselves off because we want to be tainted by that, and that's not the point at all. But rather, God will speak in ways that people understand, even if they're from a different faith. Now, I'm not saying that all religions point to the same God. If you walk out of here thinking that, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves are all religions different paths up the same mountain? Or are religions different mountains altogether? I think they're all different mountains. 
But I know that I serve a God who can show up in any mountain he wants to to reveal himself. Does that make sense? So the point that I'm trying to make here is don't be worried about being tainted by another religion, but rather understand that God is bigger than all of these things and will reveal himself to a group of scholars hundreds of miles away by showing a star in the night sky. And they recognized it for what it was and it spoke to them. This is an important thing for us to remember. God reveals where he wants, to whom he wants, how he wants. So let's go on. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> yeah, you think? Anytime uh, Jesus shows up, he typically pokes and prods at the current power structure. He still does that, by the way. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he, he gathers up all his wise men, and he says, what are these guys talking about? Well, yeah, there's supposed to be this Messiah, this new king that's supposed to arise. Where? Well, somewhere in Bethlehem, because that was the seat of King David. And he was supposed to be a king. And so we know and um, from this passage, and by the way, it's in Micah chapter 5 if you want to read it. In Micah chapter 5, this was prophesied hundreds of years prior to all of this. Next verse. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Ah, Herod's doing a little research here. He's trying to understand this. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and <clears throat> worship him. That's my little take on it. You can take the voice inflections out if you want to. But he's ultimately saying, what time was this? So he can kind of get a bead on maybe how old that child is because he has some nefarious plans. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they talked to Herod, and they followed the star, and the star, now it says stopped, but um, basically the idea here is the star gave the location of where the child actually was, and they were able to make the connection, and they're able to see where the child, now notice the word is child and not baby. In fact, in Greek, you would have a different word for baby, and when we look in, say, Luke's biography of Jesus and talks about the baby, it is indeed a different word. So it's child, and this means that the child had grown. This is not a baby in arms, but rather a child. And oh yeah, he's no longer in a stable, he's in what? A house, right? 
So obviously there is some time that has passed since he was born and when the wise men showed up on the scene. So it didn't all happen in the same night. You don't have to worry about Mary. She's not that tired anymore. Maybe she's tired because she's chasing after a two or three year old, right? But it's a little bit of a different kind of tired. And it's important here to understand that this happened over a period of time. And so they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. And you probably know the rest of the story. Joseph himself was also warned in a dream, and so he escapes from Bethlehem to Egypt because Herod destroys all of the boys ages two and under. Complete infanticide because of this, which is why verse 7 was so important. He wanted to know the timing of when the star appeared and when these guys showed up so he could gauge at how old those kids might be. He just goes and wipes them all out. And on Herod's death, Joseph moves back home, not to Bethlehem, but back north in Israel to a town called Nazareth, or an area called Nazareth, in, near Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. So there's movement that's going on here. And we end up finding that Matthew likes to talk about dreams. And one of the things I want to point out here, I think this is important for us to recognize that the wise men all came from where? Where does it say in the text? East. The east, right? This is a fascinating thought. Because one of the things that we know in history is that the area that's east of Israel is what we call Mesopotamia, or modern-day Iraq. And that area has had a long and storied history of scholarship. I mean, true uh, centers of learning that have occurred for centuries. And so we have this group of wise men who come out of that tradition. And I think that's an important thing to understand is that, again, there's this uh, question of God speaking to a, a group of people studying, even though they may come from a completely different religious tradition. But there's something else here that I think is, is important. The East is mentioned previously in the Bible. There's another spot where the East becomes very important. In Genesis, human beings walked with God in the Garden of Eden until that moment when they chose against Him. You know the story, right? There's a, there's a, we all, you know, an apple tree, but it's not really apple, it's a fruit. And the serpent comes and kind of deceives Eve and, and Adam, and the two of them eat the fruit, and God told them not to eat the fruit. You remember the story, right? And I want you to notice something. When God figures out what happened, of course he knew, but when he figured out what happened, so the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, please understand that a cherub is not the little, little baby with, with wings. Okay, That's a Renaissance version of it. A, a, a cherub is basically a lion with, with wings. When you see um, in Egypt a sphinx, in Canaan it was called a cherub. So we're talking about these dreadful types of, 
of monsters that are guarding the way to the Garden of Eden with the sword flashing. And what side is it on? It's on the east side. Isn't that interesting? And furthermore, if that weren't enough, Adam and Eve have children. Cain and Abel. Remember this story? Cain kills his brother Abel. And God does something else here. He's exiled. Look at it in Genesis chapter 4. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And by the way, the word Nod in Hebrew means wandering. The land of wandering east of Eden. Now think about this for a moment. In this story that we're reading at Christmas time, and at the end of this story, God appears in the form of a baby to walk with humanity again. Remember, you shall give him the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So God is walking with humanity one more time. And God is calling them back to walk with him. He, Jesus, walked with us. And and what's so interesting to me is that when Adam and Eve were banished, it was so that they would not gain the tree of life. And yet Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So not only is God calling us back, humanity back to him, to walk with him, but he's actually calling them back to the tree of life, which is fully present in Jesus. And where did the wise men come from? The east. The time of wandering is over. Lifeless is over. We are called back to something that God intended from the very beginning to be with humanity. It's a beautiful picture where everything has shifted, everything has changed. Sometimes God reveals himself through natural phenomenon like a star, heavenly events, And remember, there's a story of Martin Luther, the great reformer, who basically found God in a violent thunderstorm. And perhaps you've had one of those experiences where you have seen something like maybe mountains for the first time. Or maybe you've stood at the beach on the ocean and watched it and just completely amazed by how big it was. Or maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Or maybe it's something else that you've experienced that's natural where you've said, okay, There's got to be something behind this. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's God, and maybe you have that experience. God reveals himself that way. And by the way, this is the thing that's so interesting to me. The star wasn't the reveal. The star pointed to Jesus, right? Here's the star. Jesus is right here. That's always the case. When you have one of those magnificent moments where you see something that's a natural phenomenon and you're overwhelmed by it, it's not what you're seeing that's the point, but rather what it's pointing to. And all of this, all of this, the story, the natural phenomenon, the star, these wise men, 
this east and, and coming back and the tree of life and all of that is, has got a single message. And the message is simply this. God wants to be with you. So the creator, sustainer of the universe wants to hang out with you right now. Let your mind wrap itself around that truth. Emmanuel, God is with us. The Holy Spirit means that God is within us to be guided and directed by Him, to be in His, is in his presence. 2019, this is the first Sunday, 2019, the theme that we have as a church for the year is chasing after the presence of God individually and corporately as a church. And my prayer is that every single time you come here on Sunday morning, you would experience just a little bit of the presence of God. Because I think that's where things change. We change from the inside out, and we change when we're in the presence of God. And so my prayer for all of us, myself included, in fact, I just prayed this this morning as I was getting ready for this, is that when we're in his presence that we would allow we would allow God to reveal himself to us in the way that he thinks we need. Some of you might need a star. That's okay. God speaks that language. You might need something else and we're going to explore this over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about how God reveals himself. And so my prayer for you today is that you too would have an epiphany wherever you are, where God reveals himself to you in a new way.